You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, consider the impact and the truth of that statement. Out of the abundance of of the heart, the mouth speaks. As we think about the truth of what Jesus said in that statement, we understand this and and, and get ready. Our words reveal our heart. What we speak and how we speak exposes uh, who we really are. So our hearts carry an abundance really of, of two different things. They carry an abundance of good things in Christ or evil things in sin. And so in our hearts there's this abundance of things. And as we speak, our mouths disclose the reality of what's inside us. So this is why then, follow me here, this is why then wisdom and speech are so closely related. More often than not, it's our words that reveal the measure of our wisdom or lack thereof. And so the starting point for wisdom as it relates to our words, this is very important right now. As we are seeking to grow in wisdom, the starting point of our wisdom as it relates to our speech, our words, our, how we use our tongues, is understanding from the outset that our words are very, very powerful. Our words carry great impact. Our words reveal the reality of what's inside. See, a failure to see this truth that our words are powerful is a failure to see wisdom within our lives. In James chapter 3, it tells us that the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. The bit is small, but guides the horse where it goes. It tells us the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. The rudder is so seemingly small in relation to the rest of the size of the ship, yet the rudder decides which direction the ship goes. James 3 tells us that the tongue is like a fire that sets a forest ablaze. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. It only takes a fire to set a forest completely on fire. That is what our tongues are like within our lives. The person who is wise is taking this knowledge and understanding how big a deal this is. So let's just stop long enough here to apply the definition of wisdom as it relates to our tongues, our speech, the power of our words. A couple of weeks ago, we had these definitions we used. Let me put them up again so that we are reminded. Wisdom essentially is this. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom takes the knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge that is, we know is right, and it applies it properly. Another definition for wisdom is this. Wisdom is seeing all of life from God's point of view. When you see life from God's point of view, then you understand what God would have for you within your life. So what we've heard already in this message, understand this. The knowledge of what we've learned so far is my words are powerful. My words expose what's really inside of me. That's the knowledge. 
part of this. The wisdom part of this now is taking the knowledge that my words are so powerful, that my words expose the reality of who I am, and wisdom says, well, I want to apply that now for the glory of God. See, a lack of wisdom hears the knowledge but doesn't get the knowledge and does nothing about the knowledge. Wisdom says, that's a big deal. i got to see this happen in my life. I want to go in the direction of God's will for God's glory. If wisdom is working in your life right now, it is already in your mind and your heart saying, man, my words are massive. Man, my, my words matter. If wisdom is happening in your heart and mind right now, you're like, well, my words result in life and death. And you're like, really? Well, the Bible says, yes, really. Your words result in either life or death. You're like, what do you mean? Proverbs 18, verse 21. This is the thesis verse for our message today. We will launch out to other scriptures, but notice what Proverbs says right here. This is a fundamental verse for our lives when it comes to our speech. Ready? Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want that to sit with you for a few moments. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, the tongue, will eat its fruits, whether for death or life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So consider this. As we read this verse right now, the tongue is scattering one of two seeds. Seeds of death or seeds of life. Tell me, what farmer is not acutely aware of the seeds that he or she is sowing because the seeds that they sow determines everything of the crop that will be harvested? What wisdom-filled believer is not acutely aware of the seeds they are sowing through the words that they use because they understand that the seeds that they sow will determine everything for the harvest that they will reap also in terms of righteousness or unrighteousness? The key to the phrase I just said is what wisdom Failed believer will not be aware. But the believer or the person who's filled with foolishness will not even have a clue as to what's going on. We are trying to be filled with wisdom that we understand my words will go on either a path of life or a path of death. That's a very, very big deal. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to take the two categories that Proverbs 18.21 has just presented to us. There are words of death that come from our life and there are words of life that come from our lives. We're going to unpack through Proverbs what words of death look like, which is the hard part. It's not necessarily fun, but it's, it's important. It's important to understand the seriousness of how God looks at our words, but then we'll go from the harder part to the good part and the easier part to listen to, the words of life. Words of death, words of life. And that's why today's message is entitled Wisdom for the Loose-Lipped, because we want to grow in what it means to use our words so carefully and wisely as they make such impact. Let's get started then. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's start off with this. Words of death, and we'll go quickly first. I know that sounds awful, but it's important. You know, words of death. Who wants to know about that? But, 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 but the Bible wants us to know about this right now. The first category of words of death is this. Lying is an abomination. Lying are words of death because it's an abomination to the Lord. Turn to Proverbs Chapter 6 with me. Proverbs chapter 6, all right? Now promise me you won't get lazy in Scripture this morning, okay? So turn, and again, make, apply the peer pressure beside you, please, okay? Proverbs 6, 
verse 16. If the person isn't, you, you turn it for them. Okay, Because we want to put our eyes on God's word. I remind you, I remind you, if you are a good Bible student, if you are a Christian who's wise, you will not take the pastor's word for it. You want to take God's word for it. So be like a good Berean in Acts. Examine the scriptures to make sure what I'm saying is right. Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Okay, that got my attention right away. That has my attention. Six things the Lord hates. Now here's a literary device. Seven things are abomination to him. It's like Solomon, he's there. Six things the Lord hates. Wait, 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 wait. And just to provide impact, actually seven things, seven things that are an abomination to him. Notice, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sorts discord among brothers. How much God cares about what happens between us in terms of our words. Now it's difficult here in this text to overstate the seriousness of what's contained here. Again, God is being very, very clear. In verse 16, seven things that are an abomination to him. Abomination is a word that means the most profound dislike you could articulate. It doesn't come out in the ESV, but it says an abomination to him. To him means to his soul, which is a phrase to express the innermost being of God. So what this is telling us here, it brings out more. God hates these things from the deepest part of his being. Again, I I hope this has our attention. But here's what I want you to see. There are seven things listed. Notice that three of them deal specifically with our words, our speech, or the use of our tongue. Uh, A lying tongue is listed. A false witness who breathes out lies is listed. And one who sorts discord among brothers by the speech that he or she uses. From the deepest part of God's being, God hates these things. In fact, they are an abomination to him. Lying from our lives are words of death. Lying will never, ever work out for us. Just in case we're not certain of how God feels about this, turn to Proverbs chapter 12 now. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Listen to the pages turning. That's music to my ears. And to the Lord's as well. It's so great. Keep it up, love and Okay, we've got a lot of passages to turn to today. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, all right? Proverbs 12, verse 22. 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Is that clear? It's pretty clear in my Bible. But those who act faithfully are his delight. One of the things I want you to see through Scripture today as we go through it and in the book of Proverbs, notice the contrast in so many of the verses, the contrast of good and evil or wickedness or those who are righteous or those who are unrighteous again or those who pursue good or hate versus love. There's so much contrast going on. I'll come to that later on in the message, but I want you to see that what's constantly being set up is this battle between hate, love, good, evil, death, life. We've already seen in the text wickedness and righteousness it's there for a reason we're going to end the message with that I just want you to notice that but the Lord is making his point here he absolutely treasures truth the Lord treasures truth coming from our lips why because deceit is so destructive two verses back Proverbs 12 verse 20 just two verses back Proverbs 12 20 Deceit 
is in the heart of those who devise evil. Let it sit with you. Deceit, lying, dishonesty is in the heart. See, this is where it becomes a big deal. It's when the heart is coming up with deceit. The, the heart is showing itself to be evil. When lying comes from our lives, the heart is showing to be in need of change. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan peace have joy. Now, what we're hearing so far in God's word is an opportunity for wisdom. And what wisdom sees and hears from the text so far is this. With lying, I will never win. Lying is never an option that is to be taken for the benefit of myself or others, no matter how I convince myself it might be. You, like me, are tempted and have been tempted on a frequent basis to lie, tempted to fudge the truth, tempted to tell half-truths, tempted to tell white lies. Hear this, loved ones, they're all lies. They're all lies in the temptation of getting us to lies. Of course, Satan himself being the father of lies. This is the moment where you must convince yourself, I cannot win when I lie. You must convince yourself. A principle that I have used throughout my life over many years is this, I can never go wrong by doing right. I will never ever go wrong by doing right. Now, why is that important? Because the moment you're in that situation and someone asks you a question, or you have the opportunity to say, and in that you can, you can fudge the truth, you can say just a non-truth, you can flat out lie, in that moment and you feel the pressure, you convince yourself in your mind to tell your heart and go towards God's will. If I lie on any level right now, I will lose. Therefore, by faith, I tell the truth because God honors the truth and God treasures truth and lying is an abomination to the Lord. Parents, this is why any hint of lying from your children's lives must be stomped out as early as possible. Any hint or whiff or smell of any kind as it relates to non-truth, you must get at, and it's exhausting at times, but to get at that with grace and love, but to help them understand that any sense of lying will never go anywhere good. And small habits of lying lead to big habits of lying. And the worst part about lying is when you tell a small lie. If that's not nipped in the bud, then to cover up for the small lie, you've got to create another lie. And then that lie has to be covered up, and then you create a bigger lie. And what was originally just a seed of, of wickedness, but grows and grows, and then it becomes this massive weed that is so ugly. And then if you don't, if you don't stop the process, you have this massive weed hanging over your life, and you are terrified of being found out. And again, we have explained that's still one of the worst places you could be. Small lies lead to big lies. And here's what I know right now. Here's what I know right now. There are some of us here right now that if we're honest and we know even as the Lord has been speaking through his word, we are living a lie. There are lies in our lives. For some of us, we have, we have lifestyles that no one seemingly knows about God does. It's a lie. For some of us, we, have, we, we are lying right now to our spouses. For some of us, we're lying to our parents. For some of us, we're lying to our employers. For some of us, we're lying to our friends. For some of us, we're lying to family. For some of us, we flat out, we just have lies in our lives. Listen, I'm telling, I, I plead with you on the authority of God's word. Lying is an abomination to the Lord. You will not win. You will not win. You will not win. Satan's trying to convince you you will, and he wants you to keep covering it up. Listen, the, the day will come, your sin will find you out. 
you will not win with lying. This is what wisdom does. Wisdom says, you're right, God. You're right. You're right. I have to make this right. I challenge you. I challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ today. Make it right today. Do not wait another day. Today, you're, 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 you're afraid. It takes humility. The con- I'm telling you, if you keep going on this path, that's when the hurt increases, increases, and increases. Get right today before the Lord. You know, I've always been amazed at the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And to think of what was their sin. Their, their sin was lying to the Lord first. And then, of course, lying to Peter. Peter gave him a chance to come clean. Ananias didn't. He drops dead. Sapphira comes in. Chance for her to come clean. She does not. She drops dead. Now, the story of Ananias and Sapphira is sobering in itself. But the, the part that's always amazed me is it says in both cases, young men came to the door picked up the corpse of Ananias and carried him out. And then later on, Sapphira, same thing. Young men came, came to the door, picked up the corpse of Sapphira, and they are walking away and carrying her body to bury her, whatever. Tell me, what, what are they thinking in that moment? What is the single greatest lesson that they are learning from that moment in Scripture? It's this. God cares that we speak the truth. And you tell, you tell me for the rest of their lives, to their children and grandchildren and whatever it is, that they will be telling the story of how careful we must be to understand that God takes so seriously, especially within his church, the integrity to say lying is a big deal to our God. Now, now we're going to end this message with tons of grace. But right now we're understanding the severity and the significance that lying is an abomination. Here's the second part about words of death. Uh, gossip is an evil disease. Gossip is an evil disease. Turn to Proverbs 16 now, verse 28. Okay, We're, we're staying in kind of a, a section of six chapters here, so it's, it's really easy to flip back and forth between a couple of pages, all right? So don't let me down. Don't let me down, all right? All right? Proverbs 16, verse 28 says this. 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife. So there's, there's dishonesty. There's there's, there's lying again. Lying spreads strife. Notice this. And a whisperer, which is another word for gossip, and a whisperer separates close friends. So make note of this. Gossip brings division. Gossip separates brothers and sisters in Christ. Gossip separates friends. Gossip is an evil disease. Look at chapter 18 now, verse 8. 18 verse 8. The words of a whisperer or gossip, this is, this is incredible insight from God's word, are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So we learned in chapter 16, gossip brings division. We learn in chapter 18, gossip is a disease that enters into the deepest part of of the body. There's nothing quite like gossip to bring separation, disunity, and division within the church. But again, notice chapter 18, verse 8. Notice the wisdom here. How much when we are approached with an opportunity to gossip or receive gossip, someone comes up to you and they have a piece of gossip. They won't label it that way, but they're like, hey, can I share with you something about someone that's really bugging me? 
And in that moment, you sense in your flesh, this is what the flesh does, the flesh senses, wait, this is a plate, this is a, a piece of spiritual food which is not good, but in our flesh, we are enticed by what we see before us. And this is when we sense there's gossip coming our way, and our eyes widen, and our ears perk up, and our concentration is all of a sudden solely focused, and we want to hear because we sense there are some delicious morsels that we can eat from this plate. That is your flesh. That is your flesh that is, that is almost uh, uh, brutally excited, wickedly excited to receive this meal of death. And we all know what that's like. See, wisdom, wisdom sees that coming. Wisdom understands this, this will not do me well. And what the Bible is telling us, when we eat from that plate that's offered to us of gossip of another individual, not for their help, no matter what the person says, oh, hey, can I, 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 I'm really concerned about the person. Hey, can I share something about them with you because I want to hopefully help? Yeah, whatever. I mean, and you go into this slander and gossip thing about the person's character. If you eat from that plate, your Bible tells us you are taking these, these morsels that look delicious, but you are, you are poisoning your soul with a spiritual disease. No exceptions. So wisdom sees us and says, I don't want that. I don't want that poison in my soul. And you pass. How many churches have been brought down by gossip? Too many. Here's what you do. When you're approached with a plate of gossip, you pass. You say, I don't want to eat that. Hey, listen, if you have a problem with someone within this church, a problem with someone within, you go to that someone. You go to that someone. You don't, you don't, don't take a, a survey of all these other people and find out what they think, if they can agree with you or not. The Bible says go to the person. Um, something we said around here in Harvest for a long time is someone comes up to you and starts to try to gossip and destroy the, uh, a character of another person, and they enter into this conversation. You stop them. You rebuke them lovingly. You just say, stop. What you're doing is wrong. And you say, I, I don't have ears for that. I don't have ears to hear what you're about to say to me because this is not going anywhere good either for you or for me. I don't want to eat what you're serving me on that plate. This is what wisdom does. We need a heart of purity to desire what God wants as opposed to what our flesh wants. Here's another important piece of application. Be very, very careful if you're one of these people that you find a lot of people are drawn to you to tell you stuff about other people's lives. If you're someone that seems to Provide a listening ear. Oh, you're such a good listener, they say. But if you're someone that people are drawn to to communicate their frustration of other people, be very, very careful that you're not demonstrating and giving off the impression that somehow you're an easy person to gossip to. Be very careful about that. And if a bunch of people do come to you and vent about, why is that? Ask yourself, why am I a person that people come up to and seemingly want to tell me things that really have nothing to do with me? You don't want to be that person either because that means that you're eating delicious morsels in the beginning that turn out to be a disease for our souls. At the end of the day, wisdom understands that gossip are words of death. One more in this category before we get to the good stuff. Now there's lying, there's gossip, and then now there's slander. Slander destroys. Loved ones, slander destroys. Slanders are words of death. Turn to Proverbs 11, verse 13. Proverbs 11, verse 13 says this, 11.13, thanks for turning, 11.13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy 
and spirit keeps a thing covered. Notice, I don't have to turn my Bible, but notice chapter 12, verse 18. Chapter 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Here's the point I want you to see. Slander is like taking a knife and cutting it through the character of another person. Slander is never intended to be of someone's help. It is always intended to be for someone's harm. You know the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Not true. That's absolutely not true. Sticks and stones are nothing compared to the reality of character assassination slander that comes into the lives of certain people, and we all know that to be true. Slander is very serious to the Lord. Here are some verses to prove this according to God's word. Proverbs 20 says this about slandering. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, don't hang out with them. And the Bible says you, you are wise to not associate with someone who's known to be a slanderer. It's that big a deal, man. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. Here's a pretty sobering verse from Psalms, Psalm 101. Whoever slanders his neighbor, secretly I will destroy. Uh, 1 Timothy 3. This is in the context of speaking to the wives of deacons. Notice this says here. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. Now, the reason I bring this up here, the word slanderers here in the Greek is the same word used for the devil over 30 times in the New Testament. It means false accuser. False accuser. You think slandering's a big deal to the Lord? Wives cannot be slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in, in all things. Slandering are words of death. As we speak them, we are choosing a path. Again, what we're learning today is as we speak with our tongues, it's moving us in the direction of death or the direction of life. And the choice becomes ours in how we desire to be used. The point of this first section is this, is this. Wisdom understands that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wisdom sees, wisdom understands, and wisdom cares. So then wisdom agrees with David. When David prays in Psalm 141, he says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That is so brilliant. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, because I speak either words of life or death. And I pray that the door that you set over my lips would be used that when, it, when, when the door opens, it would be words of life. And then words of death, like that. Death doesn't want to come out. Life comes out. Oh God, would you set a, a door over my lips? And as you open them, there'll be words of life. And as I'm tempted with her death, they would be closed. And I'm not able to articulate those things. And here's a great word for our church and all these things too. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 20 on the screen for you. Look at this, look at this, Proverbs 26, 20. For a lack of wood, the fire goes out. That's true. I like fires a lot. You don't have any wood, the fire's not going to last very long. And where there's no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Yes. That's why gossip kills the church, man, because it just adds fuel to the fire. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Such a good word for our church. That gossips would be silenced. That slanderers would not find ears in this place. And this, this Christian life is hard enough. I mean, seeing the church of Christ go before, it's hard enough without us biting and devouring one another. The fire goes out when there's no wood. Quarreling ceases when gossip ceases as well. 
God, would you spare us from words of death within this place? May we take it as seriously, God, as you take it. Words of death, now we transition to words of life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's the good part. What are words of life? According to the book of Proverbs, words of life are this. First of all, words of grace. Words of grace. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, we see four verses in this one chapter that pertains to words of grace. Here's how I want to communicate now. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 13. 16, 13. Notice this. Words of grace. Verse 13, chapter 16. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. Righteous lips are what? Righteous lips speak with virtue. Righteous lips, loved ones, speak the truth. Righteous lips do not distort reality. Righteous lips do not exaggerate the truth. Righteous lips do not weaken the truth. Righteous lips, we learn here, bring on the favor of a king because the king loves loyalty, especially in truth, because our honesty determines so much, again, the character, what's inside, and as we speak with righteous lips, it exposes who we really are. That is why honesty is one of either the top or near the top of the list of everything every employer wants to see within an employee. I mean, the secular world has figured this out for sure. All the top companies, employers, they want, they want employees who are honest because the king or queen understands if they don't have loyalty and honesty within their company, they don't got much. Proverbs is telling us in the first place that this is definitely true. Righteous lips are a big deal. And then look at verse 21 of chapter 16. Notice that Words of grace are words of sweetness. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech, I love that phrase, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And look also verse 23, just two down. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. See, wisdom leads to judicious speech and adds persuasiveness to his lips. In both verses, it's telling us this. Wisdom leads to persuasive speech. And persuasiveness is a great thing. And I think we know this to be true. When, when the wise hear wisdom, when the foolish hear wisdom, they don't hear anything. But when the wise hear wisdom, they hear something that is pleasant to their soul. Like when you're receiving wisdom from someone and, and, and you hear it for what it is, there's a blessing that comes over your soul. There's a joy. Like as I, as I listen to a man or woman talk who gives me sound, wise-filled advice, it just, it's, it's pleasant to me. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, that's, that's really good. It's, it's, it's very joy-filled and it's also right. And so you hear wisdom and you receive it. If you're wise to receive it, then it, it's very persuasive to you as well. You're like, yeah, that's a really, that's a good word. love saying that. That's a good word. That's a word of wisdom. I'm going to take that advice because you are speaking with wisdom. It's persuasive. It's, it's sweet as well. It's, it's like um, when you uh, taste honey, we're going to hear it in a second. There's, there's, a, there's a sweetness on your tongue as you, as you hear wisdom enter into your life. What a great prayer request that is for us too. Lord, would you make my speech sweet? Would you, I mean, honestly, you can do it today. Would you make my speech persuasive, not so I gain attention myself, but just persuasive in the wisdom that you would have to help others? And then look at verse 24 now. 
gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul, this is amazing, and health to the body. Okay, ready for this? Ready for this? Your words of grace will add up to words of life in other people's lives. Sweetness to the souls of other people and health to the bodies of other people. So, uh, being a pastor, I, I, I go to a lot of weddings and um, attend a lot of weddings, and I hear a lot of wedding speeches then. Now, for the most part, wedding speeches can be long, boring, and flat, just, just rude. You know what I'm saying? But from time to time, someone stands up, almost always a believer. They stand up, and they have prepared a speech which I will entitle Words of Life. And they begin to edify and bless and encourage the individual that they are speaking to. And they are literally are imparting words. of, And the person who's receiving it is wiping tears because their heart is getting so full. It's sweetness to their soul. It's literally bringing health to their body. That is the power of words of grace being spoken into the lives of people we love or desire to bless. Because we have the power to do that in the name of Jesus Christ with the words that we choose. But here is my plea to you. You do not have to wait till a wedding to give a speech that imparts words of life to those that you care about the most, or anyone for that matter. Fathers, do you have any idea how much power are in your words to your children? Do you have any idea what God has entrusted you with, Dad, as your ability to either speak words of death into the life of your child or words of life? You have so much power right on your lips to use that for the health of your children or the death of your children. Spouses, do you have any idea how powerful your words are? Have you stopped long enough to consider the words I speak are either going the direction of death towards my spouse or the direction of life? You have such an opportunity to bless friends and even our enemies. You have any idea of the power of your words within this life? And just, think, just think about the opportunity we had filled with wisdom to speak words of grace into people's lives. There's some leaders in the room here, a lot of leaders. Do you have any idea of the power of your words to speak to the people who follow you? To encourage them with words of grace. And here's a challenge I have for you, and I think it's important to do it on the day. I challenge you today, today, before this day is over, to speak words of grace into the life of someone that you know you need to. For some of you, you can send a text and change a life. You could write an email, you could pick up the phone, you could speak to someone in person. You can look them in the eye and humble yourself enough to speak words of blessing into that person's life, and you know it will change their life this day. You know that, because you've received the same thing at some point, how powerful words of grace are. We have that opportunity in our lives every single day, and the more we are filled with wisdom and love Jesus Christ, the more we will be used to do such. I challenge you to do that this day. Oh, how powerful it is to kneel down in the face of a child, to look them in the eyes and to speak words of life into them, whether they're three or seven or 10 or 12. And as they get older, whether they want to hear it or not, you can raise up and you can look up in their eyes maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but you can speak words of life into them. And they, may, they might pretend they're not listening, but they are. They are. Because the greatest thing a child wants is to know that he is 
she is loved by those parents who have raised them. And this goes on for friends and for everything that we're doing. Words of life are words of grace. And words of life are also this. They're words that heal. They're words that heal. Words of life are words that heal. Proverbs 12, again, verse 18. We looked at this briefly. Look at it again. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. We want to avoid that. But notice the second part. Here's the contrast. (coughs) But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Yes. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, we know, we've all received sword thrusts, and it's so devastating. But we've all given sword thrusts, too, to people. And we've all received words of healing. And I pray we are all giving words of healing as well. See, wisdom says, I don't want to be slicing people up with my words with a knife. I want to be a source of healing to people with my words. Remember, loved ones, remember the point today. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Everything that we're doing, when we, when we, when we use our words, they, they are so powerful because they are either going down the path of death or they're going down a path of life. Let's take an everyday example within a home, okay? Let's say um, a couple has recently purchased um, a new car of some kind, Okay? And the wife is driving the new car and backing out of the driveway and coming out of the garage and um, accidentally clips the mirror on the side of the garage and either scrapes it, cracks it, or breaks it off altogether. Or maybe backing the car out of the garage and isn't really paying attention and, um, and accidentally thinks it has in, uh, in uh, reverse, but it's actually in forward and goes forward and smashes into the garage itself or backs up and hits a tree and there's a fender that's now busted or a light that's now broken or I know I'm speaking to a lot of people right now, all right? And here's the thing. The husband comes home and he's been working hard or whatever and he is really fired up about this car. Like he's been excited. They've worked hard. They've saved. They've got this new car. I mean, if he's honest, it's been a big deal in his life and stuff like that. And he comes home and in this moment, he has the choice. Do I speak words of death or do I speak words of life? If he's not filled with wisdom, he comes home and what he sees is his car is broken. He sees this treasured possession that I was excited about has now hurt me and I'm going to take my frustration out of my wife and he would say something like this. What's wrong with you? How dumb could you be? I, you know how much I love that car. Why weren't you thinking? Why didn't you see? How could you do this? Can I trust you? Give me the keys. Okay? Those, those kind of conversations, how's the wife going to respond to that? Not well. Not well. Bitterness sets in, resentment, defensiveness, anger, distrust, distance. Or the husband could come home and he could feel the wisdom and he could look at the situation and say something like this. See, the car's been, the car's been wrecked. Um, <laughs> the, car's been, the car's been dented. And he could say something like this. He could say, honey, um... I believe you didn't mean to do this. And if you did, that's a whole other story, all right? Don't. But I trust it wasn't your intention to, to hit the car or whatever, okay? And, and honey, here's what I know is in, in the reality of life, it's a car. Um, it can be fixed. I care more about you and your heart and what's going on, and I'm going to get over this because at the end of the day, man, the world's not ending because the mirror's hanging off with a string or something like that, right? It's okay, hon. We're going to be fine, okay? Now, as silly as that example is, I'm telling you, you listen so carefully right now to these things. These moments determine life. 
When a husband walks down the, with, with, with words of death, and if those things aren't checked, these are the patterns that lead to such destruction year, five year, ten years from now, literally in divorce. If these are the patterns that are used from our words, words are so hurtful, death and life are in the power of the tongue, if they aren't held in check and not filled with wisdom, and that couple is done. At the same time, if words of life are used, and there's an understanding what really matters and what is most important, and there's humility and love and grace, these words of life will contribute to a marriage that is stronger than ever, and not in divorce, but a marriage that will actually be used to benefit the blessing and multiplication of other marriages of strength in Jesus Christ as well. That's how important words are within our lives. It starts so small, ends up so big. I could give a thousand examples like this, and you know I could. Just think about how your words are being used. What hills are you going to die on? What is life really about? How can I contribute to words of life? and love, and selflessness, as opposed to my own self, or pride. The tongue's a very powerful thing. God wants to use it with wisdom. Words of life are words of grace, are words of heal. And now this, of course, just quickly, words of wisdom. Words of wisdom, of course, are words of life. Proverbs 10, verse 32. I don't have to change the page here. Proverbs 10, verse 32, last verse, loved ones, last verse. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Okay, that's it right there. Wisdom knows what's acceptable to say. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. A huge part of wisdom is knowing what to say and when to say it. Okay, here are some principles of wisdom on the screen for you here right now, okay? Just so you can see these things. Principles of wisdom regarding speech, all right? Here's the first one, okay? These are just some practical advice of when you're knowing what's acceptable, when to and when not to, okay? When it comes to your speech, uh, when in doubt, don't. So if you're sitting there, this is amazing to me what happens, and you're contemplating in your mind, if I say this, this could be disastrous. Ah, let's go for it. That's a very bad plan, okay? That's a very bad plan. And you know what I'm talking about. You're in those moments, and you're sitting there like, should I, should I, should I? Oh, it's going to be funny. Should I, should I, should I? And the fool goes, bleh. And then disaster takes place, and you're like, ah. Oh. When in doubt, don't, all right? Here's the next principle. Recognize and recover. Here's one of the realities is. There will be times where we say things we didn't mean to say. Amen? Amen? That's going to happen because we are sinful people achieving and going towards Christ. We're not fully there yet. Recognize and recover. Wisdom, sometimes you will say something and you're like, I cannot believe this is coming out of my mouth. And you're trying to reach and pull it back in, but it's too late and it falls on the table. In that moment, humility. I believe humility is more in recovery than it is even in not doing it at all. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to say things we wish we never said. But the ability to recognize what I just said was so dumb. And then the ability to recover from that, to admit what I just said was so dumb. Would you forgive me, please? Would you forgive me? And this leads us to our next principle of speech. Self-awareness is self-preservation. Self-awareness is self-preservation. And what I mean by that, too, is you have to know 
You have to know your weaknesses. You have to know your temptations. You have to know when you're most vulnerable to saying things that you don't want to say, like in certain, um, in certain places with certain people, in certain environments, right? So there's been many times in my life as an elder, as a pastor, as a leader, where I've been in such a bad place spiritually that I know if my mouth opens, it, it will not benefit the church, it will not benefit the people in my company, I will hurt everyone, and literally, I have to shut my mouth, uh, stand up, excuse myself, and leave until I'm in a better place. You have to be aware, this is not going to go well. You're in a situation with people that you love, you're in such a bad place, if you say anything, it is not going to be edifying to anyone at all. Somehow, remove yourself, take a break, now's not the time, this isn't going to go well. Self-awareness is self-preservation. If you're not self-aware, you just destroy people. You just destroy people, and it'll hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. Here's a good principle for our speech, less is more. Less is more. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And it says, whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's a good word, you know, when babble, 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 at some point, man, that's just going to end bad. Now, that's not, for some of us, we don't like to say anything, not hiding behind complete introversion. But the person who just unceasingly talks is eventually going to find themselves in a tough place. You know, Abraham Lincoln, he said this, he says, it's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to speak out and remove all doubt. You probably got that from the verse that's on right here, the verse under less is more. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. The whole point is less is more, it comes to our life. And here's the last thing I want to say to you. Seeking Christ is speaking Christ. Seeking Christ and speaking Christ. Now, this is the most important part of this entire message, okay? And we're ending with this right here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, as I've gone through this message, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we see words of death and words of life, there's a lot of conviction. There's a lot of practical exhortation right now. Don't lie. Don't gossip. Don't slander. It's just it's death from your life. Words of grace, words of life, all that. Ultimately, notice what's happening. As you go through the Proverbs right here, it's death versus life unrighteousness versus righteousness, wickedness versus godliness, evil versus good, foolishness versus wisdom, deceit versus truth. Again, it's death versus life. But you tell me, you tell me, I hear the commands, don't gossip, don't slander, don't lie. But in myself, how can I do that? How can I defeat evil? How can I defeat wickedness? How can I defeat unrighteousness on my own? I'm done. Notice what Proverbs is doing and see this right here. The narrative of Proverbs is pointing to the greater narrative of all of life. His name is Jesus Christ. The only way I defeat death and evil and unrighteousness, the only way I conquer lying and slander and gossip, the only way I ultimately speak words of grace and words of life and words of blessing, the only way I do that is Christ in me. The only way I can do this in my life is Jesus Christ gives me the ability to... Want to clap for that? Let's clap for that then. Because that's a good thing to clap about. Listen to this. Listen to this, okay? If you're here today and your greatest takeaway is, I got it, Pastor. I got to try harder. You've heard nothing. Your takeaway today is, I've heard it, Pastor. Jesus in me. 
He's the one who defeats evil. He's the one who defeats death. He's the one who defeats aid. The more he is in my life, the more I will speak words of life as opposed to words of death. Galatians 2, I read it this week. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me, it's Christ. Your hope for wisdom and your hope for words of grace will only be found in the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do you do right now? You go to the cross and you say, here's all my sin. Here's all my lies. Here's all my, you take it all. He'll take it all. He'll take it all. He'll cleanse it all. He'll cleanse it all. You're forgiven. Hear that. You're forgiven because of Jesus Christ. If you ask him for that, you are forgiven. And then from that place, you don't just stop at repentance. True repentance is now I'm moving in the direction of, I want virtue. I want words of life. I want to speak words of life because death and life and the power of the tongue, I want my tongue to speak life. That's the opportunity here today. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, he saves us from our sins, he sets us free, and he calls us to higher levels of living, listen, not in our strength, but in his and for his glory. Let me pray for us right now as we just end this service. Thank you, Father, for the, the beauty of the song sung today. Thank you, Father, for the blessing and the, and, the, and the glory of baptisms, Lord, lives for you. Thank you, God, for your word that speaks so clearly. And Jesus, Jesus, even now as we dismiss your people, I pray, Lord, they would leave here blessed and excited to say, well, Jesus can do a great thing in me. By his grace and for his glory, he can do a great thing in me. May it be so, I pray, oh God. It's for you, it's all for you. Take this church and change us. In the name of Jesus, amen.